Thanks for checking out this message from Coastal Community Church. We hope it's helpful and encouraging. Well, I can tell you I'm thankful for those who don't know during the week when you all are at your work, I'm coming to work and I work back there behind that curtain. And I cannot tell you how many times I've tripped on that step there on my way back up there to work. So my first prayer was, I sure hope I don't trip because you all will say, he's never going to recover from that. So welcome, everyone. I'm so thankful for the privilege and the opportunity to share the message with you today. Just take a couple minutes, if you would, and turn to your neighbor to your left or to your right and say, hey, I'm thankful for you today. I don't know what's going on with that. That was kind of a, I don't know if they're thankful or not. For those who are watching and, uh, with us for the first time or joining us for the first time, my name is Chris Jones. Uh, I'm the outreach pastor here at Coastal. And if you happen to be watching online today, thank you for choosing to worship with us today. Uh, just know that we're going to be monitoring the chat throughout the service. We would love to hear from you. So if you would, just take a couple of minutes and say hello. We would love to hear from you. So as we get started, I would, I'm going to ask you to do something. Real easy. Doesn't require a whole lot of effort. And you can participate too, even if you're watching online. I want you to either in your notes or maybe list something in the chat, just one thing that you can say that you are thankful for. Take a moment and do that. And while you're doing that, I want to kind of open things up with a story. I want you to picture this for just a few minutes. I want you to picture 11 or 12-year-old Chris Jones. And imagine just for a moment that it's Christmas time. And I am beyond excited. And like most kids... At the 11 and 12 year range, I was out for the gifts. I wanted all the gifts. But this particular year, this particular Christmas as a kid, there was this one gift that I had to have. And it was a bike. But it was not just any bike. I wanted the Huffy Sigma. Should be popping up there on the screen here in a second. Now this BMX gym, if you will, was unique because it had hubcaps and white tires. Everything about this bike to my 11 or 12 year old mind just screamed, I'm gonna be the cool kid in the neighborhood. It had these trick pegs on the front near the spokes of the bike. It had these trick pegs on the back. And so I knew I just absolutely had to have this Huffy Sigma for Christmas. And so I did what most 11 or 12 year old kids do. I began a relentless campaign of harassing my mom and dad nonstop. And it was relentless to say the least. And I let them know that if by some means I did not have that Huffy Sigma in my possession, they would be responsible for my premature death as an 11 or 12-year-old kid. Now, for those who don't know my mom and dad, they're hardworking people. They've always been hardworking people. And one thing I can say positively that's really great about my mom and dad is they always made sure that my sister and I got the one big item that, they, that we wanted for Christmas. And so this Christmas was, this particular Christmas was no exception. And I was uber excited. I was so elated. In my mind, it was the best Christmas ever. I had my very own Huffy Sigma. And so the first thing I want to do is I want to tell the whole world about this gift. And so the first person I called was my best friend. And so I called him up and I said, hey, I got a Huffy Sigma. Now I'm going to hold it right there for a second. Because you would think most best friends, they'd be like, hey, way to go, buddy. I'm happy for you. Good job, man. We're going to have fun riding that bike. No, my buddy's response was this. I got a diamond back. Now, if you don't understand BMX technology, mid-1980s, you probably don't know that a, that a diamondback BMX bike was the premier of BMX bikes. It was a genuine racing BMX bike. 
This guy, not only did he get a BMX racing bike, but he even had his own number on the front of it that he called it his own. It was expensive and it was ready for racing. And as my mind shifted from elation and being excited, my mind shifted to this place where I thought, here I am on a Huffy with hubcaps. It went from the best Christmas ever, my saviors, my parents being the saviors of Christmas, to in my mind, my 11 or 12 year old mind being the worst Christmas ever. Here I am riding around on a Kmart BMX bike. In a split moment, I went from an attitude of gratitude to an attitude of ingratitude. Now you might be wanting to say or think that we'll just chalk it up to an 11 or 12 year old preteen spoiled kid ungrateful for his parents' sacrifice. But perhaps what's more shocking about this story is that my provider at the time, my mom and dad, provided for me exactly what I asked for, but I was still ungrateful. I dare say we've all had moments like that where we've lost sight, moments where we've forgotten the good things, forgotten about our blessings, failed to be grateful for what's good in our lives. Did you know that the British Journal of Social Psychology noted that just 10% of Americans responded in their study that they responded regularly and often that they experienced the emotion of gratitude? Just 10%. And so that leads us to this question, this big question, and that is, why are we all prone to the attitude of ingratitude? And why are we living in one of the most economically prosperous places on the planet, generally some of the most dissatisfied people on the earth? Well, I think one reason is this. We take our eyes off what we do have and focus on what we don't have. We're gonna go to the book of Genesis here in a minute, but before we do that, I think it's always important to lay ourselves down a little bit of foundation because foundation and context kind of helps us to apply something that obviously happened so long ago to our lives here today in 2020. And so we're going to the book of Genesis and I want you to think back to the very beginning of creation, to the time of Adam and Eve. And I want you to think about the beauty of this place called Eden. It was temperate, it was comfortable, and it was absolutely wonderful. Adam and Eve had everything they could ever need or ever want. Eden was this place of absolute perfection. And Adam didn't have to deal with back hair. He didn't have to deal with nose hair or ear hair. And he didn't have to deal with a beer belly. And ladies, listen, Eve maintained her high school figure. And she could easily slide into her size zero jeans. Eden was this place of perfection. God had provided everything for them. And more importantly, God provided to them himself. You see, Adam and Eve, they enjoyed closeness and they enjoyed intimacy and fellowship. Let's take a, a trip together to Genesis chapter three as I read beginning in verse one. It says, the serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. And one day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the, tree, it's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God said you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. The woman was convinced. 
And she saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. And so she took some of the fruit and ate it. Intimacy, closeness, a worry-free existence. They had it all, but the one thing they couldn't have. Their choice of any of the fruit from the trees of the garden. Yet their gaze was intent on the one tree they couldn't have. God said no to the one tree, but he says, look around, Adam and Eve. You can have all of the others. He said, look at everything I've given you. God said, you even have me. Isn't that enough? What about us? Are we so different, you and I, Coastal? Our eyes are quick to look away from all we've been blessed with. We'll fix our gaze on the one thing we don't have. We find ourselves woeing over the fact that we don't make as much money as we'd like, whereas we forget the blessing that we even have a job. We anguish over the fact that it's going to be fish sticks and macaroni and cheese for dinner, whereas we forget the blessing that we've been provided a meal for our empty bellies. We're envious over our friend's brand new house, but we forget that we've been provided a place to sleep last night while others, countless others, slept outside last night. You see, we're quick to want what we don't have and equally quick to forget what we do. And interestingly enough, sometimes we will assume that the Lord is, is this withholding tyrant because he doesn't cave in and simply give us what we want and when we want it. But the truth be told is that the Lord chooses to withhold those things from us that are often the very things that will bring about our ruin. Adam and Eve in the Garden Eden is a case in point. So we take our eyes off what we do have and begin to focus on what we don't have and we also develop an attitude of ingratitude when we forget what the Lord has done in the past. I dare say that we are a people with short-term selective memories, are we not? We're so quick to forget, you and I. Life is of the sort where we get so caught up with what's right in front of our faces and we're indebted with so much, it's difficult to look forward or even to look backwards because we're, what we're dealing with right now requires so much of our energy. We're often overworked, overtasked, overextended, exhausted, and even stressed. And we often say and think that dealing with whatever I'm dealing with right now is all that I can muster up to deal with right now. But I want to kind of jump forward a little bit to Joshua chapter 3. Starting in verse 15, it says this. It was the harvest season. And the Jordan was overflowing its banks. But as soon as the feet of the priest who were carrying the ark touched the water at the river's edge, and the water above that point began backing up a great distance away. You see, here's Joshua. He has succeeded the leader as a leader of Israel from Moses. And the Israelites have been wandering around in the wilderness for an entire generation. They've been wandering around in this desert for 40 years. And now God has instructed his leader, Joshua, that it's now time for this entire nation of people, Israel, to move into the land of Canaan, also known as the promised land. Mind you, this land was promised to the people of Israel all the way back to the time of Abraham. But the problem is, is the Jordan River is now at flood stage. Wading across the Jordan River is simply not an option. We're talking about an entire nation of people making their way across the Jordan River, entire families, livestock, possessions, swimming simply isn't an option. God had already performed numerous miracles, numerous miracles for the people of Israel. Just to name a few, he turned the Nile River into blood. 
He brought about the plagues of the frogs, lice, flies, boils, and locusts. He even calls the noon day to turn into the darkness of night. He even calls the death of the firstborn in Egypt, all because the ruler of Egypt refused to release his people from bondage. God then parted the Red Sea for them, and he sent manna from heaven so that the people would not starve in the wilderness. And he brought water from a rock, not only once, but twice, so that the people would not thirst. And here goes God again, stopping the flow of water from the Jordan River. He does that so that his people can fulfill the perfect plan and purpose he has for their lives. But what is most interesting, though, as if all that is not fascinating enough, is what God instructs Joshua to do next. Listen to Joshua chapter 4. It says, when all the people had crossed the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, now choose 12 men, one from each tribe, tell them, take 12 stones from the very place where the priests are standing in the middle of the Jordan. Carry them out and pile them up at the place where you will camp tonight. So Joshua called together the 12 men he had chosen, one from each of the tribes of Israel, and he told him, go into the middle of the Jordan in front of the ark of the Lord your God, and each one of you must pick up one stone and carry it on your shoulder, 12 stones in all, one for each of the tribes of Israel. We will use these stones to build a memorial, and in the future your children will ask you, what do these stones mean? So why build a memorial? I mean, the Lord, as we had just discussed, has already manifested himself in the lives of the people of Israel over and over and over again. Miracle after miracle, God has stood up and fought their battles, freeing them from slavery, providing them miraculously food and water. Well, the answer is found if you read just a little bit further in verse 7 of Joshua 4. It says, Then you can tell them, they remind us that the Jordan River stopped flowing when the Ark of the Lord's Covenant went across. These stones will stand as a memorial among the people of Israel forever. God wanted them to remember. He wanted them to remember everything he had done for them. He knew that new troubles would come. He knew there would be new battles to fight. He knew there would be new enemies to overcome. The people of Canaan were not just going to give up without a fight. But when those future heartaches set in, when the enemies would begin to shout their threats, when it looked like it was going to be game over and all hope was lost, he wanted them to remember that he did it before and that he could be trusted to be faithful to do it again. In their gratitude of what God had already done, they could face whatever the future might bring their way. Yes, our God is indeed that good. But what about us? Some might be thinking, watching online today, some maybe in here in the room might be saying, well, Chris, fascinating story. But the crossing of the Jordan River happened a long time ago. And then we look at 2020. 2020 has been a difficult year for so many people. People have lost their lives. Countless others have lost their jobs. Some have even lost their homes. Relationships have been strained. Abuse and neglect domestically have exponentially increased. And substance abuse and mental health issues are nearly of greater importance and concern than the pandemic itself. The political climate, think about the political climate. Good grief has driven us even further apart. And if you think about it, it's just about woe everywhere we look. 
And it's a reasonable expectation that given everything that we have faced, it would be perfectly understandable if someone were to say to me or even to you, no thank you to Thanksgiving. Unless, there's always an unless. Unless you can remember what God has already done. If you have memorialized all the Lord has previously done with the problems that we have faced. The reason Joshua told the people to build a memorial of stones is so they would remember the day the Lord provided for them in a big way. The idea was that they, their children, their grandchildren, their great-grandchildren, and their great-great-grandchildren would behold that stack of stones and they would remember the goodness of Almighty God. They would remember his delivering them in the days of previous trouble. And they would be strengthened, encouraged, and even give thanks in the days where it felt like God had forgotten them. And let's face it, we've already talked about it very briefly. The people of Canaan, they were on the far side of the Jordan where the Israels had just crossed. And they weren't just going to give up their homes. They weren't about to give up their livestock, their livelihoods, their fields, and their vineyards without a fight. And the Israelites would continue to struggle and continue to have problems generation after this event here. So it's nearly impossible for us to be thankful when you can only see what is right in front of you. But when you've built a memorial in your heart and in your mind and remember what God has already done, you give thanks. You give thanks because you know that if God was faithful back then, he can be trusted to be faithful to do what he did back then again. So the question then is, what has God done for you? Think back for just a few fleeting moments right here and right now to consider everything that God has done for you, to consider the goodness of Jesus. Think of all he's done for your family in the past. Think of how he's blessed this church. I have a good friend. I'd like to say we have a great relationship. He is of the 2 a.m. variety, this friend. In fact, I recently had to call on him because Kim and I found ourselves stranded on, at a gas station with a dead battery. But on one particular afternoon, and Pastor Chris alluded to it a little bit in his message last week, he shared with me the idea of beginning a gratitude journal. He procrastinated, but to his credit, he is busy with quite a bit of responsibility. And with the responsibility that he carries comes anxiety and concerns. However, in his procrastination, I was the most supportive friend that I could be, and I did what most male buddies do to their friends when they procrastinate. I gave him crap, lots of crap. I gave him a lot of crap, and I grieved him and berated him into submission. I figured if he didn't start this journal on his own free will, I'd grieve him to death with brotherly chastisement. But why? Why do that? Well, because in those moments in his life, when anxiety begins to mount, in those moments when his life becomes overwhelming and things aren't going as well as he hoped, when he can't figure out why things in his life are falling apart, simply when he's having the sort of bad days that we're all prone to have from time to time, he'd have written proof of all that God had done in the past. And that memorial would be this, the strength that he need to press on, the nudge to press on. It would be in his thanksgiving for all that God had done. He'd find the motivation to keep trudging along. 
He'd recognize that if God was faithful to do whatever he did back then, he would be faithful to do it in his life again. The same holds true for us. We will experience, friends, each and every one of us here in the room and online, we will experience problems, troubles, and setbacks. In fact, Jesus himself promised us of that. But when we place our focus not on the problems and troubles and setbacks, but on the goodness of God. And when we can look back at what he has already done, when we give him thanks for his faithfulness, then we can live with an attitude of gratitude in spite of the hell that we might be facing today. Why? Because nothing we face, friends, is out of the reach of Almighty God. Nothing is too great for his hand. And if he was faithful in your past, you can be rest assured he can be trusted to be faithful in your future. Our God is so good, church. Do you believe that? So we're in this danger of developing an attitude of ingratitude when one, we take our eyes off what we do have and focus on what we don't have. And when we forget what the Lord has done in the past. And the third thing is this, when we develop an inward focus versus an outward focus. Friends, we live in a busy world. We're doing what we can to get what we can. We're working jobs, we're raising kids, we're engaged in hobbies and activities. We live in a world full of fast food, microwaves, Lyft, and Uber Eats. A nation where prosperity and achievement and recognition are all celebrated. And there's nothing wrong with any of those things. Ambition and work ethic, they're all great and admirable things. The trouble comes when our goals and our ambitions become all about us. That's when they become tripping points. I really love what the Apostle Paul said in his letter to the church of Philippi in Philippians chapter two. I'll share it with you. It says this, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. You see, in the pursuit of things, we can develop an attitude of ingratitude when life becomes all about us, forgetting about the world that's around us. We acknowledge that in this world, there are people around us that are hurting, people who are hungry and without clothing, people without shelter. We see them in our periphery, but oftentimes we find ourselves too busy chasing our own ambitions to pause to really see the hurting that's happening around us. And the reality is, as we chase and we chase and we work ourselves frantically and practically to death in pursuit of the stuff that will never make us fully satisfied. We can never accumulate enough stuff to reach a place to where we can honestly say that we are thankful. It's nothing more than the trick of the devil himself to keep you and I pursuing and chasing after something that we will never, ever capture. But as long as we remain inwardly focused, we can be assured of this. We will never reach the destination, never reach the destination that God has for each of our lives. We'll never reach a place of gratitude because enough is never enough. Nothing I say will convince you of this. 
What I'm about to say next, you're only going to be able to understand if you experience it for yourself. So if you hear nothing else in this message, what I'm going to say next, I want you to hear. If you're watching online, if you hear nothing else said in the message today, it's important that you hear this. If you want to experience gratitude and thanksgiving every day of your life, then you have to give your life away. Did you hear that? If you want to experience gratitude and thanksgiving every day of your life, then you have to give your life away. Turn the focus of your lives outwardly instead of inwardly. And how do we do that? I'll make it very easy. You do it by serving. What I love about this church is it's all about rolling up your sleeves and serving. There are opportunities to serve right here in the church and there are opportunities to serve out in our community. And when you engage someone in conversation who is dirty, who has been sleeping outside for months, or you provide a meal to a drug abuser who has been using for so long his or her teeth have fallen out, or you provide Christmas gifts to a family who would otherwise not have a Christmas morning, it's in those moments of outward focus when you're making an impact that you realize that this world is not about you. It's in those places of pain where you're making an impact that you see that all the stuff, friends, that we're prone to chase after isn't all that important. It's when we take our focus off ourselves and to project it onto others that we shed off this attitude of ingratitude. But you can't take my word for it. You have to experience it for yourself. And you can experience it today. You can experience it today by letting our associate pastor, Pastor Scott, know in your connect card that you'd be willing to lead, co-lead, or host a life group for the spring 2021 life group semester. You can experience it by joining our first impressions team or our online engagement team for those who watch online. You can even sign up to help with the Christmas at the Suburban where we're going to provide on December 19th a traditional holiday meal. We're going to provide gifts and stockings to people who absolutely need the love of the church now more than ever. You have the opportunity to both donate and to serve. You'll have an opportunity to give your life away by giving towards our Christmas offering. Think of all the people, friends, that we're going to be able to feed over the next 12 months as we host two tailgates a month out in the community. And think of the impact we'll be able to make together as we get this box box truck out on the road and we start serving our community with it. You see, the bottom line is simply this. We, you and I, can experience gratitude and thanksgiving every day in our lives when we choose to give our lives away. We turn our focus away from ourselves and project it onto those around us. Friends, we're in danger of an attitude of ingratitude. We take our eyes off what we do have and focus on what we don't have when we forget what the Lord has done in the past and when we develop an inward focus versus an outward focus. Some might be thinking today in the room and maybe watching online and thinking, you know, that being ungrateful, having an an attitude of ingratitude doesn't necessarily apply to me. There may be some who'd say the uh, ingratitude is limited to the weak Christian or maybe to those who are non-believing. But I want you to know that the struggle, friends, is indeed real. For quite some time in my own life, I too wrestled with the attitude of ingratitude. Some might be thinking, why? 
Well, for the same reasons I shared in the message today, whether it be a life group or a serving opportunity, my mistake was focusing on the numbers and not on the impact. Let me walk this out a little bit further. You see, the life group semester begins. And if you've had the privilege of being a life group leader here at Coastal, you know that you have a sign-up roster. And over the weeks leading up to the semester, your hope and your prayer is that your sign-up roster would fill up with people willing to be in your life group. Or if you talk about serving opportunities, I'll use Saturday Serve because it is a more familiar one as far as outreach goes at Coastal. I would find myself on Saturday, that first Saturday month, as volunteers would come in and regretfully think in my mind, oh, not a lot of volunteers this month. Or look at the sign-up roster for the life group for whatever semester it happened to be and be like, oh man, only 10 people want to join my life group. This is what the attitude of ingratitude will do to you. The focus becomes more about body count with groups, more focused on numbers and that on the lives that are being changed through the ministries that God has given you to, to participate in. See, the attitude of ingratitude was so prevalent in this season of my life, I'd ask my question, myself questions like, what am I doing wrong? What do I need to do to change to bring more people in to want to serve? And what do I need to do to get people to want to sign up for more serving projects? Until one day, I suppose the Lord had enough of me. I remember him very clearly as he administered to me on that day. And I remember from him something to the effect like this. Chris, one life is precious to me. Just one is a gift from me to you. Whether I choose to give you one or I choose to give you a hundred, they're an opportunity for you to sow into their lives. And more importantly, they into yours. And in that moment, as the Lord ministered to me at that time, I wept at the thought of all that God had given me in these individual lives he has sent my way. And how instead of gratitude, I had an attitude of ingratitude. Why am I telling you all this? Because I'm hoping you will think less of me? Absolutely not. I want everybody to love me. It's tough to share the error of your ways to so many people. We're great in number here today. We're blessed with number here today. Imagine who's watching online. It's tough. After all, I'm supposed to be one of the leaders in the church. Someone who sets the example. But I'm sharing my moments of weakness with you because I want you to know that the danger is real and it's destructive. And it's totally displeasing to the Lord. And I don't want you, friends, whether you're here or you're out there online, to make the same trap or fall into the same trap, make the mistake, same mistake I made. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you. I thank you, Lord, for the privilege and the opportunity, Lord, to uh, be, Lord, with this family and this body of believers today. Lord, I thank you, Lord, for those who are watching online. I thank you, Lord, for those who are in this room. And Lord, the danger of ingratitude is very real. It's very real for all of us. None of us are immune, Lord. But Lord, the fact that, Lord, your goodness and your mercy, Lord, just flows upon each and every one of us, Lord, when none of us deserve it. We don't deserve, Lord, your mercy. We don't deserve, Lord, your grace. We don't deserve your love and your peace. Lord, you give it freely to us. And Lord, 
you yourself, Lord. You have given yourself to us, Lord. By living, Lord, a sinless life. And then dying on a cross for all of our sins. For dying for every mistake that was ever made. The mistakes that are being made right now and those that will happen in the future. And Lord, if you do nothing else for any of us, Lord, the fact that you have given us eternal life, Lord, you have done more than enough. So Lord, our prayer to you today is simply this. Help us, Lord, to be grateful. Help us, Lord, to see, Lord, all the blessings, Lord, you've given us. Help us to see, Lord, your love for us. Help us, Lord, not to be entangled, Lord, with all that we don't have. But, Lord, help us, Lord, to keep our focus upon you. And, Lord, if there be any, Lord, who are watching online or even here in this room, Lord, who do not know you, Father, our prayer is that, Lord, your spirit would speak to them right now, Lord. Lord, your gift of salvation is right now. It is available right now, Lord. And, Lord, if there be any, Lord, who would would want to give their life or, or, or come back to you, I pray they would just pray a prayer like this. Lord, forgive me. Your goodness is more than I can comprehend. I thank you, Lord, that you came to this world and lived a sinless life and that you went to the cross and died for my sins. And Lord, I'm tired of going my own way. I'm try, tired of trying things on my own. Lord, I just surrendered all to you. I just want to, Lord, to receive your gift of eternal life and that, Lord, you would begin to do a work, Lord, from the inside out, Lord. Begin to change me, mold me, and make me, Lord, to be, Lord, all you would have me to be. Father, I pray for our church today. I just ask, Lord, that you would continue to, to strengthen and bless our pastor. I pray that, Lord, you would keep his vision strong. I pray that you would keep him strong in his mind, in his body. That, Lord, you would give him all that he needs to continue to lead our church, Lord, in the direction you would have us to go. And, Lord, I pray for every person, Lord, here that's online and here in the room. Lord, I just pray, Lord, that your spirit would minister to each of them, Lord, in the way that you would have to minister to them. And that, Lord, we, Father, would leave this service today eternally changed. Glory be to you, Father, for you are worthy of all praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. From Pastor Chris and the family at Coastal Community Church, have a blessed day.